everybody. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the Wednesday episode. Uh, if you're if you've been listening the la- this week, you're kind of noticing a little bit of different flavor here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. Mondays and Wednesdays during the offseason, you're going to get the AP Laboratory. Tuesdays and Thursdays, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, and friends. He's you know brought Tom Childs on la- yesterday. Uh, the AP Editor Show. Really excited to have them on the on the podcast channel as well. So we've got you covered four days a week now. And also on, on Friday, we're going to have the AP Draft Show to the AP season finale. So we got a lot of stuff going on the AP podcast channel. And here to help me today, as always, are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. The, the sleeveless shirts are back for one Matt Lane. Rocking them. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Um, I, it is always nice to be here with Hollywood Swanson because I mean oh, you are just a star now. But I think hold on, hold on, stop, stop, no, stop, stop, I'm not stop. stopping because this is the time I think we shine <laughs> some light onto the Renaissance man. He's kind of drifted off on his own path down a lonely road, but he's back, baby. He's back with a vengeance. He with has a vengeance. He has joined Hollywood Swanson as a TV star. He is now the top producer of your favorite Chiefs podcast. <laughs> he is the man, the man. He's po- he's wait, he's legend. doing in the trenches? He is back. Renaissance man Craig Stout. How are you? How does it feel to be back on top, buddy? Woo! Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Let's get on with the podcast. As, as the person who's editing this week's podcast, let's get on with the podcast. The producer, no, the Renaissance man himself, and TV's own Craig Stout is with us today. Oh, this is just delicious. I hate this. I hate that I we. I hate that it. we had Kent dead to rights here. <laughs> You did this to yourself. Hmm. You went on TV and you took it upon yourself to be a good person and be uh, the editor of this fine podcast. Okay. We've got a few pieces of news to cover today. First off, we got to start with the release of Dustin Colquitt. If you've been you know, listening to this podcast, I think Maddie's kind of had a decent beat on this idea that... This might be this might have been Dustin Colquitt's last season and a great way to end it on a high note. Um I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he's been here he's been here for what 15 years. He's endured a lot of football in Kansas City and not all of it, I would argue most of it hasn't been great. <laughs> but here we are, Dustin Colquitt saying goodbye. We're saying goodbye to Gus, Dustin Colquitt, but he went out a world champion and I think that's pretty cool, Craig. Yeah, that is really cool. And Dustin Colquitt's basically an automatic Chiefs Ring of Honor. As a matter of fact, we we can just go ahead and put him in there right now. Um, Ring him. Ring him. But I I do think that it was getting to the point he was starting to trail off a little bit. You were starting to see some of the holes in his game a little bit. But he was pretty reliable. He could still pin guys back there. But frankly, with Patrick Mahomes, they just weren't punting the ball very often. And I had a very expensive punter now i know the nostalgia i'm glad he got the ring i I would feel bad if he did not get a ring with the chiefs before they moved on from him but i think it was one of those situations where 
The Chiefs felt like they needed to get younger. They needed to get a little cheaper at punter. And so it just made sense to move on from Colquitt this offseason. I mean, best of luck to him. We love him. He's a Chiefs legend. But yeah, it was time. Like everyone said here, Colquitt has been, you know, he's been part of the Chiefs for 15 years. He's been one of the best punters in the league over that time. But I think last year you really started to see it. And it's probably hard only getting like one and a half punts per game. But I think you started <laughs> to see kind of the decline. His leg hadn't been the same as it has been these last couple of years. But his ability to place punts inside the 20, inside the 15-yard line, the directional punting ability still been very good. This year that seemed to take a step back. And even more so, I just think he had a few more gaps. He just had a few more really bad punts this year. And that's just stuff that hasn't stuck with his him during his career I do think it was time to start looking elsewhere. I am disappointed that he wasn't ready to retire. So that would have been a much nicer way to go out on his terms and just call it good and right off into the sunset. He clearly feels like he still has more that he can do for another team. So good luck wherever you end up, Dustin Colquitt. But yeah, it's a punter. The Chiefs don't use him. It's a punter. It's time to get cheaper because it's a punter. I think you kind of saw a little bit of it last year with Jack Fox being, you know, being on the roster. Because I don't remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't really recall many years where the Chiefs had, you know, a camp punter in with them. I think that seemed like the first year that they had one of those in a while. And then you saw Tyler Newsom get added to the roster, who looks like if Dan Orlovsky had a mullet. I I've got a Twitter, I've got a I've got a photo of him on Twitter, and it's beautiful. It looks like Dan Orlowski with the bullet. I'm telling you. Uh, but also, here's, you know, I kind of had a feeling something was up. I thought it was retirement. I thought it was Cole quit retiring because I was like, I saw um, Joe Staley retire this week. And I was just like, oh, like this is still a, a realistic possibility that maybe Dustin Colquitt's just doing the same kind of thing and he's moving on. Because when I saw Tommy Townsend, the undrafted free agent out of Florida, get added to the mix. That's three punters on the roster. Three punters? I think we all should have known something was up at that point. Um, so now the Chiefs have a couple of young, uh, cheap, controllable punters that probably aren't going to get a ton of work with Patrick LeVon Mahomes uh, and now Clyde Edwards are in the backfield. Uh, um, what do we think of these punters, Craig? I know you did a little bit of work on them already. I, I actually did. I write up punters for the guide. So I have I had some numbers at the hand. Uh, Townsend actually is a pretty dang good punter. Surprisingly decent punter class in the draft here. He's got a decent leg. He had a 71-yard punt against Missouri, but he averaged... 44 yards per punt. He was pretty good. He pinned, you know, punts inside the 20-yard line almost 48% of the time. That's really good. For reference, Colquitt did that 44% of the time in 2019. So that's a little bit more of an improvement there. But the part that is best of all of this, Townsend allowed, or Florida overall, allowed just 1.29 yards per return. That's wow. third best in the NCAA. He's very good at directional punting. He's very good at kicking into the coverage properly. I think Dave Tobe is really going to love him. And I left the Husky punter for Matty Lane to talk about because I know he loves Husky punters. 
Listen, when we're talking about punters, if they can't tackle, which is like 99.9% of them, I don't care too much. They're just out there to waste a roster spot (laughs) and give the ball to the other team. You might as well just throw up a Hail Mary every time. However, Husky punters, I have a soft spot for my heart. If you want to be a Husky punter, jog on out there, and then for whatever reason, every Husky punter has a cannon of a leg. Shout out Sebastian Janikowski. So you give me a Husky punter with a big leg, I'm going to be a fan. The only way you can rival a slightly chubby punter is if you have a punter with great hair and that <laughs> is Tommy Townsend. So we have us a battle. We have the hair versus the husk. It's true. It's true. So Townsend, Townsend looks like I, I'm definitely calling him sunshine. Like he looks, <laughs> he does. I mean, if he had blonde hair, he would look like Trevor Lawrence. So Schweb, Schweb 29 called him, ta- called him Trevor Lawrence. Oh, there you go. Okay, yesterday good. on Twitter. Yeah. He called. Hold on. He called. Uh, he called Newsom something else. I can't remember what it was. Newsom has a great mullet. You guys, it's a great a fun- mullet. It's mullet Dan Orlovsky. I'm telling you, Orlovsky's back in the league. He grew his hair out. The, any appearance he's had on ESPN has been CGI of his actual of his fake hair. Um, one thing you brought up though, Craig, and we are really we're talking punters. We're ten minutes into the show. Guys and we're talking punters. Um, you talked about directional punting for Tommy Townsend. One of the things that I, I remember Dave Tobe talking about during the season, talking about Dustin Colquitt, is when they got when when the Chiefs got here, when Andy got here, when when Tobe got here, you know, Colquitt was a booming leg guy. You know, just a big booming leg. And Tobe asked him to be a directional punter. Tobe said that he thought becoming a directional punter extended Dustin Colquitt's career. Which might be true, because you know the leg the leg strength is definitely diminished. Wow, we have we have punter takes. We mm-hmm. have like mm-hmm. well thought Who out knew? punter takes. I'm kind of impressed right now. I'm embarrassed. But anyways, anyways, so the leg strength kind of got away from him a little bit. Obviously, as you get older, um, so the directional stuff that he's been doing the last few years, actually, he might be right. This might ultimately extend his career a little bit, and I hope it does. I know it's going to be tough for people to see Dustin Colquitt in a different jersey, but go go out and get your money, Dustin. Yeah. Go out and continue and get your you know extend your career. You've got like fifty kids to feed, so go go take care of those. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
Okay, so we just got done talking about Dustin Colquitt. Uh, something while we were getting ready to record, some news broke. Adam Teicher, Craig, why don't you catch us up on that? Yeah, uh, Chiefs cornerback Rashad Breland was arrested in South Carolina today. I'm reading this from Adam Teicher's article. Breland faces charges of resisting arrest, having alcohol in a motor vehicle with the seal broken, having an open container of beer or wine in a motor vehicle, possession of 28 grams or less of marijuana or 10 grams of hash, and driving without a license. That's probably a, a, a suspension of some kind, is my guess. So there's a pretty good chance that we're going to see some other cornerbacks in the mix early in the year. It's going to be interesting, Craig. And now we've got a couple new in the mix, Legereus Sneed and Bo, the, and Bo Pete Keys. What, what do you think ultimately materializes for the cornerback position early this year? Well, I, I hate to speculate because we don't know how this is going to be handled. We don't know if Bashad's going to miss any time or anything like that. But what we do know is that they addressed it with a couple of guys that I think that they liked in Sneed and in Bo Pete Keys. I think Sneed's a little more ready. I think he can get on the field a little faster. And I think he plays a little more the way that Steve Spagnuolo wants that guy on the boundary to play. But let's not overlook Rashad Fenton here. Maddie and I have talked about it a lot. Rashad Fenton just looks better on the outside. Now, I know they played him in that dime roll, kind of in that slot a little bit, but they got a couple guys here in UDFA that they might try out in some of those roles in preseason, especially if Breland's going to miss a little bit of time or something like that. You might see Rashad Fenton start early on the outside. I I think I'd like to see that a little more. Matty, would you like to see Rashad Fenton get first crack at that, or you want to see Sneed first? I mean, I think it should be an open competition. Like, I'm more than willing to, you know, for the first preseason game, if Rashad Bruin isn't able to suit up, like, by all means, let Rashad Fenton get the first crack. But if you're going through camp and you start to get into the preseason, assuming we have all of this, if Legereus Sneed outplays him, then, I mean, by all means, you go with him. I like Legereus Sneed better coming out of college than I liked Rashad Fenton as a cornerback. And then I think Rashad Fenton, just all he did was surpass kind of what I thought he was going to be as a rookie. So I feel okay with him taking reps on the outside as long as someone's there to challenge him. I don't feel great about the position either way, but I feel a lot better with someone there to challenge him. I think Sneed can do that. I think Legereus Sneed needs a little bit of work until he's ready to be a solid pro, but I think he's pretty close to being able to challenge somebody like Fenton or even Ward or Breland if everything clicks real fast for him. So thankfully, the Chiefs did a good job picking Fenton last year, getting him in the system. I liked his reps on the outside, like Craig said, and then I think getting Legereus Sneed in the fourth round just gives them competition early on, not just someone that needs to develop like the Carious Keys might, just gives them someone to compete early on for that role. And hopefully Sneed gets the nod over Hamilton just in terms of trying to fight with Finn there for that starting job if they need them. If uh, Bashad Breland is going to miss some time, if that is something that happens, obviously we're not trying to speculate too much, um, but if, if he does miss time, you're getting a sneak peek at the 2021 cornerback class or cornerback group for the Chiefs. Because if if Bashad Breland uh, has to miss early in the year, Charvarius Ward, Rashad Fenton, Legereus Sneed, the Carious Keys, all those guys are under control for 2021 too. So it's kind of a sneak peek at the progress of, you know, the developmental prospect process of, you know, the Chiefs and their cornerbacks, you know, what Sam Madison's up to, you know, what Dave Merritt's up to with this group. 
And I'm really fascinated to see because I I really do like I love what the Chiefs did double dipping at cornerback for 2021 specifically. I really love the idea of throwing some numbers at a very important position that the Chiefs have not spent a lot of money on, money on in the past. Um, they still haven't spent a lot of money on it. Even with bringing you know Brashad Breeland into the mix back again, they still have not spent much of anything at the cornerback position this year. Um, but they've given themselves some really quality um, players that have a, a shot at extending and making a making something out of themselves and and they've added the curious keys and LeJerry Sneed into the mix. Yeah, I I think it's worth noting here that we don't know who the Chiefs are playing in week 1 yet. So, in that in that regard, we probably don't want to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week 1. That that's frankly a little scary with the weapons that they have. I don't think we would. The good news is I don't think we would in week 1 because the Chiefs will be at home. The Chiefs will be at home. That's true. That's true. So because I mean, they'll be hanging a banner because true. they won the Super Bowl. That's absolutely World true. World champion, baby. <laughs> now, no, week two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. But I mean, there's a couple teams on the schedule there uh, that might be early. Uh, you've got the Atlanta Falcons and Julio Jones. You've got the New Orleans Saints, Houston Texans, Baltimore Ravens. A couple of those teams that could pose some serious threats there vertically even even teams like the Raiders or the Broncos that really added some speed to the outside there that would be a really big test for a young cornerback so I I'm frankly a little bit excited a little excited to see these guys well I think this becomes a lot bigger issue if Juan Thornhill's not back by the time we start for the simple fact that the Chiefs cornerbacks do get a fair amount of help from the safety play from Tyron Matthew Juan Thornhill even Dan Sorensen they got a fair amount of help over the top or just kind of limiting the amount of field space that they have to cover. If Thornhill's not back, I don't think Sorensen's ready to sit on the back and show the same kind of range. I don't think Armani Watts is even close to ready to do that. And as good as Tyron Matthew is, I think Juan Thornhill might even be a better kind of center fielder kind of role than he is. So if you get Sneed or Fitton there on the outside and you don't have the safety blanket of Thornhill over the top, then I think it gets a lot more dangerous. Once Thornhill's back, if you're forced to play without Breland for any kind of time, I think he just makes it a lot easier to force quarterbacks to throw the ball farther away, outside, deep. You can challenge those young corners, and it's going to come back to bite you sometimes, but very rarely are you going to get beat over and over and over again to the point to where you're going to lose a game with Patrick Mahomes to a quarterback in an offense that's just throwing the ball to the outside receiver over and over again. Reference 2019 Chiefs. I mean, that's... (laughs) (laughs) One thing, like I don't want this to sound, um, I don't want this to sound like I am in any way, shape, or form giving up on this season or don't care about the 2020 season at all. But the Chiefs having having that Super Bowl in the back pocket makes me a little bit more comfortable, kind of seeing what happens when a bunch of young cornerbacks without a stable presence like Bashad Breeland are thrown into like thrown into the fire. I kind of like to see, you know, some of these things a little bit differently because we have the Super Bowl in the back pocket. We don't have to every game is critical and obviously you want the Chiefs to get the one seed, but also at the same time, they won their Super Bowl. It's very hard to, you know, repeat and all that stuff. This 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 could be kind of an indicator of, you know, 
the long-term outlook of this football team, which is really something I'm super fascinated in because I think we all want to see the Chiefs you know, with a dynasty and being able to hit on a Rashad Fenton, being able to hit on a Legereus Sneed or a, a Bo Pete Keys. One of these guys hitting is one little thing that can help the Chiefs extend this thing into a freaking dynasty. For sure. I mean, I, I am all on board at seeing the athleticism and the youth that the Chiefs have brought in get time. I know that we pounded the table for guys like Dorian O'Daniel in the past to get time because he just brought a different level of athleticism to the group that he was playing in. I'm fine with giving these guys some, some time here as long as Steve Spagnuolo trusts them. We know that they need to be on the same page. He just doesn't put guys out there that don't know what they're doing, which is why I kind of think that Rashad Fenton has that leg up on the outside. I wouldn't argue that. I I will say this, though. Steve Spagnuolo looked very excited to grab Legereus Sneed. He did. She said... The Chiefs said if Legereus Sneed was the... If they had the first pick in the fourth round that they were going Legereus Sneed. You know what that means? That means if Lucas Niang goes, it's Legereus Sneed or one of the 10 guys that went after Lucas Niang. That's how highly they thought of Legereus Sneed. You know what? I've watched some 18 tape on him since, you know, now the dust is cleared. I am so excited to see what he looks like in Kansas City. I cannot wait to see what happens when Sam Madison gets their hands on him. Um, Okay, I wanted to do something real quick with you guys, and then we can get out of here. I want to know from you guys, based on your film study, based on, you know, because, like, you know, the draft happens, and then we all just dive in more and more to, to, to more of the film on the prospects that we have. We've all been doing that. Has any opinion changed for you on any of prospects? Maddie, start us off. I think my biggest one is with Lucas Nang. I think he's an excellent football player. I thought that when we picked him. I think he's even better now as I've kind of worked through more. I mean, especially watching him like the, for the second time through against Young Bosa and Chase Young, just how good he was in that game, how good he was against Oklahoma. Like, there's a lot more there than it generally looked like or at first glance. And there's still some technical work that needs to be worked on. Like, he doesn't play with much knee bend. He almost catches every single pass rusher with his hands. He doesn't attack them or jab or punch them well. You clean those two things up, which I think are probably two of the easier things to work on when you're transitioning from college to pros. And I just think his upside's even higher than I initially thought. The big thing that jumps out to me, though, is I don't understand the desire to push him into an offensive guard position. Like, I think he could do it. And if they have to do it, so be it. He'll be a very good guard. Just when you watch how he moves, it feels like it would be such a waste to put a guy that's that light on his feet and that athletic, especially his reactive athleticism on the inside. And you just can't go into this thinking that Lucas Niang is going to be one of like the 0.1% of NFL offensive tackles that move into guard and then jump back out to offensive tackle. It's just very rare. If it happens, it's awesome. It's just so rare to bank on that. It's like, let's keep him to tackle. Let him develop. Don't waste that athleticism by sticking him inside for his entire career unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. And mine is Mike Dana. Uh, Mike Dana is a guy that we didn't know a ton about when uh, the Chiefs took him in the fifth round there. I got the opportunity to speak with Mike Dana. We we kind of walked through some of the stuff that I had seen on film. Guys, this... I, I get exactly why Brendan Daly and Steve Spagnolo love this man. He 
He does everything that they want him to do. When I talked to him, he talked about how his responsibility is to do his job so the other 10 guys can do their job right and he can't be out of place. And he routinely would cover up when like his three tech would get upfield, would knife upfield and into the huh. backfield and leave a gap free. He would routinely cover huh. that gap. The situation that huh. we've talked about a little bit there, but he made Interesting. he made the run fits whole. Time and time again, we talked about his shortness. We talked about his size. He doesn't play like that. Now, once he gets to the next level with some longer athletes, there might be a really, really, really big adjustment period that he may not be able to overcome. But his football character and his effort level and the way that he approaches the game, just, you know, technical, disciplined, and a team first kind of guy, like just sitting there talking to him, I'm going, wow, I. I listen to this every week when Steve Spagnuolo does press conferences and then once a month when Brenda Daly gets to get up there too. So he just has a lot of the same attributes that they ask their guys to really kind of look out for. So after reviewing the tape, after talking to him, it made perfect sense to me why the Chiefs would address him in the fifth round. Okay, so for me, it's a, it's the Carious Keys. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not the Carious. It's Bo P. I got to put some respect on that man's name because that is what he wants to be called, and we will be calling him by what he wants to be called on the AP Laboratory, on the Arrowhead Pride channel, on arrowheadpride.com. We are respecting that man's wishes. Um, I still love the fact that the Chiefs have brought Bo P. Bo P. Keys into the mix. I love the value of getting him in the seventh round. I, I think he has a little bit farther along to go or farther ways to go for me than I thought initially. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing because you know we the man has the measurables that you need that Steve Spagnolo covets. He's got some of the longest he's at the second longest arms in this entire class. He's 200 pounds. He's tall. He's got the desire. He, he's got fluid hips for a man his size. He's got the long speed to carry vertically. Um, I just think his his feet need a lot of work. Um, there's a lot of times trying to transition, trying to change directions. Um, his his feet get out from underneath him. He slips around like every game I've watched. We we were able to get a lot of all twenty two on on him. I've got three games under my belt with him uh, of the of new all twenty two that we got. Feet get out underneath him in every game. Just his tra- his transitions, his change of direction. Like he's got to work on his feet, um, trying to transition, trying to trying to change direction because it's it's got a long ways to go. He's best attached. Um, I I think I think he's still best attached. He really what he wants to do is he wants to keep you outside the numbers. He loves those numbers or those routes outside the numbers when it's when it's in breaking routes. He tries to turn and run a little too quick. I think he thinks he can recover a little bit. With um, you know, with with within breaking routes with his length, but that doesn't always happen. So I think he's got a long ways to go. But like, man, I'm still just so intrigued by by what he brings to the table. Um, and I can't wait to see what he looks like here. Uh, you know, in a couple months, as you know, he continues to get mental reps. You know, during the off season, and then when he finally gets in the training camp. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We will be back for the AP Draft Show finale on Friday. Be sure to listen to the AP Editor Show tomorrow. We'll catch you tomorrow.